Kids, I want to start again, as usual, with you, and I might have to move in a little bit closer to make sure you can see what I want to show you. But I want to tell you a little story, and I want you to use your imagination here. I'm just going to show you a few pictures, but you're going to have to fill in the gaps there with your imagination. I want you to imagine that you live in a country where there's a king, and he's a good king. He's a king that, that you know is looking out for the good of all people. He is a king who loves his people, who leads his people, who protects his people. And you've never met this king. You, you've seen him from afar when he's made announcements of various kinds, when he's given words of encouragement. But you, you're just a lowly, regular person, and you don't get to ever meet the king. One day, you get a letter from, uh-oh, that's a, a lot of reflection there, but you get a letter and it's a letter from the king. The king says to you, it says in the letter that he wants you to come to his castle to meet him in person. You are very excited, of course, because you're thinking, wow, I finally get to meet the king myself, to meet him in person. So you get on your, your, your best clothes, you get dressed up, for the day that you're going to go see the king and you make a kind of a long travel to get to the king's castle. And when you get there, what you see, the first thing you see is lots and lots of trumpeters welcoming you to the castle. And the trumpets are blasting and blaring a joyful song welcoming you to the castle. And so you're getting even more excited now. You come up to the gates of the castle. And when you get to the gates of the castle, you get another letter. And this letter says, you have been invited to the castle to see the king, to be in the presence of the king, to, to, to enjoy him. But there's a problem. The king's soldier tells you that they've been sending you many letters to let you know that there have been some wrong choices and wrong things that you've done and that you've incurred, that you've, you have a penalty as a result and that you have to pay that penalty before you can go before the king. And it's a very, very, very large sum of money. You have no idea how you're gonna be able to, to do that. Even if you had read those letters that you had ignored, you still wouldn't have been able to come up with enough money to pay for the penalty for the wrong things that you had done. And so now you're very sad. You can't go into the king's castle. You can't go before the king's presence to enjoy him. But just as you were thinking that, the prince comes out and he says, we know that you can't pay for this this amount of money, that even if you'd spent your whole life collecting every cent that you had earned, that you would not have been able to pay for that penalty. And so the prince says, I will pay out of my own pocket the penalty that you had incurred. And you are just filled with joy because you know you didn't deserve it. And you know you could never have paid that penalty. And yet here is the prince saying that he will pay it for you. And so the prince pays the penalty. 
and the trumpets begin to blast again to welcome you in as you walk through the gates and as you walk to the throne room of God and as you stand and talk and chat and enjoy the very good king that you have loved all of your life and you're filled with joy. Kids, that little story is really a lot like our relationship with God. God welcomes us and invites us to be in relationship with him, to be in his presence. And he wants you to be in his presence. He wants you to be able to enjoy all of his goodness, all of his love. And yet there is something that stands in between us and God, the king. And that is this debt that we owe God because of the wrong that we have done. And God knows we can never pay that debt no matter how hard we try, no matter how many good things we do, and that God himself, through the Son of God, Jesus Christ, had to pay that, pay that penalty for us. And he does, and he did on the cross. Jesus did that for us so that we could enter into the presence of God, we could enter into relationship with God and delight in him and enjoy him and enjoy all of his goodness and love. That is the great gift. And we can enjoy God's presence because he welcomes us in and he loves us so much that he would pay the price needed so that we could be welcomed into his presence. Today's psalm is really a picture of that, a picture of the delight that we can have in the presence of God, the delight that we can have uh, worshiping him, rejoicing in him, delighting in him. And so I hope, kids, that you continue to listen in if, if you want, but if not, um, I'm sure that the Lord will bless you as you turn your heart to him, knowing that he delights in you and has made a way for you to rejoice in his presence. So I'm going to dive into today's psalm now for kids and adults alike, whoever chooses to continue to listen. Adults, it's a beautiful psalm that we, that we look at today. It's a psalm that um, perhaps a little bit different in tone than the ones we've looked at so far. Like I've been saying, book three of, the, of Psalms is kind of a dark book. There's a lot of Psalms of lament. There's a lot of prophetic hymns calling God's people back to faithfulness to God. And today's Psalm is, again, much different in tone. Uh, the context of this Psalm is it's a Psalm of, of pilgrimage. It's a Psalm that the people of God would have sung as they um, were on, on their way to Jerusalem, perhaps, perhaps three times a year, um, to go to Jerusalem, to the temple of God, in order to, to be in the special presence of God. And they would have sung this song, preparing their hearts for uh, being in the presence of God, anticipating the joy they will experience in the presence of God, the delight and to enjoy in him. And, and, and the purpose of this psalm then was, was to cultivate that delight as they prepared. Uh, they say, or studies have shown, that when you plan a vacation, that there's kind of a, uh, a magic number almost of how far ahead you should plan your vacation because it gives you a certain amount of time to anticipate uh, the vacation, the joy of the vacation. And this pilgrimage... Uh, was, was, was meant to be like this. This psalm was meant to be like this, that, that singing the psalm as they journeyed to the temple of God in Jerusalem would have cultivated 
a greater and greater anticipation and delight in being the presence of God. The, the hope was that it would stoke a, a deeper longing for God as they journeyed there. And so we're going to talk through the psalm real quick. I'm going to read through it and, and just kind of describe uh, how it would have been imagined and sung as, as they journeyed, but then make some applications to us. The first section here in verses one through four, I'm, just, I'm gonna read and make some comments. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. This phrase, O Lord of hosts, uh, is translated a little bit differently in different translations. The New Living Translation says, Lord of heaven's armies, that's what hosts means. NIV translates it, Lord God Almighty. You might know uh, the song, Better's One Day in Your Courts, and, 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 and the translation that's being used is NIV, and therefore in that song we sing, Lord God Almighty. Um, and it's this, this, this picture of, of God being, yes, almighty, transcendent, the one who is king, Lord over heaven's armies. And so you, you hear as, as the psalmist is, is, is singing the psalm as, as they pilgrim, on their pilgrimage to Jerusalem, that they're, they're looking forward to how lovely is that dwelling place where God, transcendent God, dwells. And the, and the psalmist continues to describe uh, how his heart feels. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing, sing for joy to the living God. Again, a description of where his heart and his soul is at. And, and it goes on to say, even the sparrow finds a home and the swallows a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Again, this reference to O Lord of hosts it's going to get repeated a few times, but here the psalmist is saying, and those who sing it on their pilgrimage, is, is envying the bird who can make a nest near the house of God, near the temple of God, near the altar of God even, longing to be like that bird who can, who can make a nest near the presence of God. And verse four ends with this, this, this phrase, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Again, cultivating this longing to be in the presence of God, to dwell in the house of God, to be praising God throughout. This word blessed, again, is, is translated differently in different translations. New Living Translation says, what joy it is for those who dwell in your house. Um, NR, NRSV says, happy are those who dwell in your house. And again, it just gives us a picture of what blessed means. Blessed, the blessing of God brings joy. The blessing of God brings happiness. So blessing, joy, happiness for those who dwell in their house singing praise to God. So we see again, the psalmist is singing, cultivating, painting this picture for himself as, as he journeys to the temple of God, envisioning, envying, being in that place to be in God's presence. But then he, he, he continues in verse five, in this next section, verses five through nine, describing almost what it's like along the way. Blessed are those, again, here's the, the second blessing here. Blessed are those, what joy it is for those whose strength is in you, whose heart are the highways to Zion. This pilgrimage is no easy pilgrimage. In order to, 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 uh, to get through that pilgrimage, there's this uh, necessity for strength from God. And this, this next phrase, uh, in whose heart are the highways to Zion, is an interesting phrase but it appears the meaning is describing that these, these, these pilgrims are not just going because they are required to, and they are required to by law to, to have this pilgrimage to the temple of God to worship several times a year. 
but whose, in whose hearts are the highways to Zion is describing this idea that the psalmists, the pilgrims, are not going because they have to. They are going because they want to, because they want to delight in God, in the very presence of God where it's promised in the temple of God, in whose hearts are the highways to Zion. That's a beautiful phrase. And it continues, as they go through the valley of Baca, which can be translated weeping, they make it a place of springs. A picture is painted of, of a valley that perhaps is a very dry place or perhaps is a place of sorrow, a metaphor for a place of sorrow. And yet the joy that the, the pilgrims have as they journey, that joy makes that dry place, makes that place of weeping a place where there is springs, a place where the, the rain brings good and brings life. And verse seven goes on to say, they go from strength to strength, even each one appears before God in Zion. Again, describing that along the way, they're not getting more and more tired as they go, but they're grow, growing from strength to strength, not because they're not tired physically, but because the joy of the Lord gives them strength to go on and to, in fact, to go from strength to strength. And then verses eight and nine is a prayer, O Lord God of hosts, again, that phrase, O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer, give ear, O God of Jacob, behold our shield, our God, look on the face of your anointed. Now, pointing specifically to this idea of the importance of the king of Israel, the king of Israel being the representative of Israel before God, who is meant to be the model of faithfulness for the people of God. And as the, the representative of God, the king is blessed, so are his people. And so it's a prayer to God and yet a prayer for the king to be, to, to, um, to, to, to be a model of faithfulness to the people. And the psalm then ends again with a picture of what it's like to be in that presence of God. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of, a, of, of wickedness. It's this very powerful uh, sentiment, and I do wonder how much we share in it, this idea of like, better to be in the presence of God for just one day than to spend a thousand days succeeding along with the wicked. Sometimes we look at the wicked, we look at those who are not following God, we look at those who don't seem to have any care for what is right and wrong, simply to be able to, 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 to gain, to grab out of life what they want. We look at them and we can envy them. We can envy the, their success, we can envy their wealth, we can env envy their freedom to do whatever they want, not constrained by the law of God. And yet here, the, the psalmists and the pilgrims who sing it are saying, I would rather be in the house of God for just one day than to succeed for a thousand in a way that sins against God. I would rather be just a lowly doorkeeper in the house of God than to sin against God along with those who don't follow him. And again, he goes on, to, to point to who God is. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. He is the one who brings light and life to us. He is the one who protects us. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, again, for the fourth time, blessed is the one who trusts in you. So I, want you, I just wanted you to get a sense of what this song is about and how the pilgrims 
would have felt as they sung it to God on their pilgrimage uh, to the temple in Jerusalem. I think for us as Christians today, we, we need to make an adjustment because we don't travel to the temple of God. We don't make pilgrimages uh, to Jerusalem. And, and we could say there's some parallel to uh, the Lord's day worship when we gather together physically once a week to worship God. That it's meant to be a picture of go- going into the temple of God in a special way. There is a sense in which when we do that, we, we are more present with the Lord, although, of course, it is also theologically true to say God is with us everywhere we go, that God dwells inside of us. And yet, our longing, as we feel right now so keenly because of uh, coronavirus, our longing for that Lord's Day worship reminds us a little bit, perhaps, of how these pilgrims would have felt, longing to be in the presence of God with the people of God at the temple in a very special way and how that would have stoked that longing for God. And perhaps right now we, we feel even uh, more sharply that, that isolation, that not being in the presence of God. Yet we know, again, that we can worship God anywhere, anytime, through Jesus Christ, that we can worship in spirit and in truth just as Jesus said. So again, we have to make the adjustment then. How do we read this psalm as Christians? And so we must start with the gospel, of course. We understand, just as I was trying to to paint a picture of in in the kid's uh, story in the beginning, that we are those who come into the presence of God with a debt, a debt that comes from our sin, and Jesus took that debt away on the cross so that our sins may be forgiven once and for all, that we, we need to no more go to the temple of God and offer sacrifices again and again and again, that Jesus has dealt with it once and for all. It is finished. We have been forgiven. God's anger has already been received by Christ for our sins on the cross. It was a once and for all sacrifice. And yet we're, we're not just wiped clean and neutral by faith in Christ, we also take hold of, are reckoned as righteous, perfectly righteous in God's eyes, that he fills our account with righteousness, righteousness of Christ's, the righteousness that Jesus lived out perfectly in this world, in this earth, incarnationally. And so we can go into the presence of God confidently, boldly, without fear, because we are covered by the blood of Christ, because we are reckoned as righteous by God because of our faith in Jesus. We, in fact, believe, as Jesus taught us, that he will send a Holy Spirit as a deposit, as a guarantee of our inheritance into the next life, that the presence of God dwells in us, And I know I stress this often because it is this kind of truth that is just mind-boggling. How is it possible that us broken people, so aware of our very sins and wrongs that we commit on a daily basis, can house the presence of God who is perfectly holy? And yet that is the truth. We have direct access to the presence of God through Jesus Christ who gave us the Holy Spirit.
it's a very different picture than the pilgrim who journeyed to the temple of God to go to the special presence of God at the Holy of Holies. In fact, they could not even enter there. They only trusted the high priest to make a sacrifice there so that they could be near the special presence of God. And yet what we have as Christians through faith in Christ is the presence of God in us. But we have to recognize that it creates a weird tension in us. On one hand, we love the closeness of God. We love it. We want God to be accessible. We want to be able to go into his presence without fear. But at the same time, we are unsure whether we can handle that closeness of God. The presence of God being especially promised at the temple of God perhaps makes more sense to us in some ways. That way we can more easily compartmentalize our faith. You know, we go find God when we want, but then when we don't really feel like when we want to do our own thing, then we can, you know, feel this distance from God. And perhaps as Christians, the way we do that is we think of church as the building. We think of, we think of church as the Sunday service, when in fact the church is the people of God filled by the Holy Spirit, brought together by the Holy Spirit. We are the temple of God through Christ. And so this weird tension creates this struggle for us as Christians. A part of us thinks it's a casual thing to be in God's presence. We've heard the gospel again and again. We've heard that we have been washed clean. We've heard that we've been given the righteousness of Christ, reckoned as righteous. And we can take that for granted. We can casually enter into the presence of God. We stroll in and out of relationship or conversation with God as if it's no big thing. And in one sense, it's not a big thing because all our sins have been covered. And yet, the picture of going before an earthly king should, should be a, a relatively um, relatable, translatable experience to relating to God. It's a big deal to go before the king. But at the same time, there's a part of us that is afraid of being in the presence of God, in the special presence of God, because we know he is holy and we are afraid to enjoy him as a result. What if I get too close to this holiness? What will happen to me? We come trembling before God at times. Sometimes we come casually taking God for granted and sometimes we come trembling, fearful. But this psalm directs us to who God is. It directs us to how we can enjoy God. And I try to point it out as I read through it, but there's, there's these repetition in there that's very clear. There's four calls upon the Lord of heaven's armies. Those four calls should remind us that he is a transcendent God, that he is a sovereign God, that he is a God who is creator of all things and in control of all things. And therefore, we should not come lightly before not just an earthly king, but the king of kings, the king of the universe, the one who is transcendent and above all things. And yet, there's these three joys, these three, three blessings, three calls to happiness of coming into the presence of God. And so I hope the main point you hear today, that was a lot of lead up to this main point, and that is God welcomes us into his presence, so let's enjoy him. God welcomes us into his presence, 
So let's enjoy him. Verses one through four, we see that God welcomes us into his presence. So let's enjoy God's presence. Just think of verse four. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. The psalmist recognized that there, there's already this sacrificial system in place to, to take care of his sins, that he can be blessed and happy and, joy, and, and be joyful in dwelling in the house of God like a bird who finds and nests at the altar of God. And it answers this deep fear that we all have that we are completely alone in this world. But this psalm reminds us of God's presence. That you are in fact not alone. You may feel at times you are isolated and alienated from everyone around you. And, and not just in the way that the pandemic right now isolates you, in the way where you could be as busy and as social as you've ever been and still feel completely isolated and alienated. But you're not alone. God is with you, Emmanuel. God dwells in you through the Holy Spirit. God has welcomed you into his presence as a Christ follower through the cross of Christ. The pilgrimage no more is a journey to Jerusalem and to the temple of God. The journey is simply in our hearts to God, pulling down the barriers that keep us from enjoying the presence of God. And this psalm tells us not only four times that he is the Lord of hosts, also tells us that he is the living God, that he is my God and my king, that he is sun and shield, the one who bestows favor upon us. This is the God that we worship and believe in and are in covenantal relationship with. He welcomes us into his presence, so let's enjoy that presence that dwells inside of us. Sections five through nine show us that God welcomes us into his presence, so let's enjoy finding strength in God. The second blessedness says in verse five, blessed, well, what joy are those whose strength is in you in whose heart are the highways to God? Again, this idea that we can find strength in God who dwells inside of us through the Holy Spirit speaks to a deep struggle that, again, all of us have. We think we're alone in this. We think we have to do everything in our own strength. And each and, each and every one of us has a different story and how we were raised. Some of us more than others have, been, have it deeply ingrained us that we have to do things in our own strength. That there's no one else there for us. That it is our strength and our strength alone that will carry us through this life. And yet this Psalm tells us because God welcomes us into his presence and that his presence for us as Christians is inside of us through his Holy Spirit, that therefore his strength is in us, that we can find strength in him, that we go to the presence of God not just because we have to, not just because he is our creator, not just because he commands us to, but because our hearts want to, because our hearts have been born again, regenerated, been breathed into by God's breath himself so that our hearts may be highways to the presence of God in Zion. It is not a place anymore for us. It's not a physical location. It's not a mountain. It's not a temple. 
temple of God is us, the people of God. The presence of God is the Holy Spirit in us. Our hearts are highways to the presence of God, and he welcomes us into his presence. You don't have to do everything in your own strength. You don't have to do everything out of duty. God loves you already, and he offers you his strength through the Holy Spirit. Lastly, in verses 10 through 12, we see this. God welcomes us into his presence, so let's enjoy trusting God. Verse 12 combines here both, O Lord of hosts, and the blessed phrase. O Lord of hosts, blessed, what joy is the one who trusts in you. The last word in this psalm. We hear this often about trusting God, how important it is to trust God. And we all know we struggle with it in some way. And I think we all also uh, sinfully find some delight in trusting in ourselves, having control over our own lives. And we all recognize that trusting God involves letting go of control over our own lives. But the beauty in that, again, is that when the Holy Spirit, the presence of God dwells inside of us, that we are not alone. We are not in this life alone. We don't have to just trust ourselves, trust our own power to be able to get through, to be able to achieve, to be able to be happy and blessed and joyful. It is the Lord of hosts who dwells inside of us who gives us that joy. God is good and powerful and we can trust him through the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us. There is a delight that comes from trusting God, a delight of not being alone in this world and having to trust and rely and depend on our own strength. We can trust in God, the God who dwells inside of us, the God who welcomes us into his presence through the cross of Christ. I hope for you, as you think upon this psalm, as you think upon this very simple truth, yet powerful truth, that God welcomes us into his presence, not in a cheap way, not in a way that should make us tremble before him as if he will strike us dead. We are welcome into his presence through the cross of Christ, through the gospel, and the Holy Spirit now dwells in us, and we can find assurance in that. And therefore, we can enjoy God. We can enjoy his presence. We can enjoy finding strength in him. We can enjoy trusting him because he dwells inside of us. It is not cheap and it is not trite. It is a welcome that is costly for Christ and meaningful for us. Meaningful in our everyday life as we live this life, leaning on him, trusting in him, finding strength in him, and delighting in his presence in us. It's a welcome that cost Jesus his life. And yet because he raised from the dead, we too can have hope that whatever darkness we experience, whatever brokenness we struggle with, whatever loneliness we feel, that God through the Holy Spirit gives us hope and enables us to delight in him, to enjoy him, to enjoy his presence. I know for many of us, with the way things have been going the last few weeks, months, between pandemics, 
social upheaval, fighting against injustice, we can despair. We can lose hope. Yet I hope that as you study this psalm, as you pray this psalm as a pilgrim would, that it stokes your longing for God. I want to end with just a short story. This week, uh, I drove Amber to Lincoln, Nebraska for a physical appointment. Not five minutes after leaving, um, we, we find out that our dog had hurt himself and March very kindly helped us bring the dog to the vet and the dog needed surgery uh, that was not cheap and we did not pet insurance and so it was, it was costly and we, were, we, 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 we weren't there to be able to help our dog, which for all those pet lovers out there, I know how quickly it becomes where your dog is like your family. And it, I just had to fight everything in me not to blame someone, something, I just wanted to blame something because it felt better. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. It felt better to, to find someone, something to blame. And, and I realized that I just didn't want to deal with sadness. And I didn't really want to deal with God either. And so I had to check my heart and say, Dini, there's no one and nothing to blame. Just allow yourself to feel sad that it cost you a lot of money, that your dog is limping along right now trying to recover and it's going to be a hassle and all of that. And just be sad. Be sad. Then go to the presence of God. Because the thing about the blame is that it kept me from going to the presence of God. Maybe it would have been more honest if I just got into God's face and blamed him, although I probably wasn't brave enough to do so because then at least I could face the loving and good sovereign God and, and recognize that he's not to blame either and that he's calling me to delight in him, that in every and any crisis that I feel and experience, that he's calling me to himself. He's calling my heart to worship calling me to adore him, calling me into his presence, calling me to enjoy him no matter what is broken around me. And so I call you to that too. This psalm is not a psalm, a triumphalist psalm, just ignore what is bad in the world or in your life. It's a psalm calling you to the greater good, the greater loveliness of God in a broken world. I pray that you will find enjoyment in him and his presence in you. Let's pray.